Hey bub, welcome back to a brand new episode of Talkin' Snicked, the Wolverine Show. It's the best podcast there is at what it does, and what it does best is tell you about Wolverine. I'm your host Ryan. Today's episode is going to be our first episode of a brand new month, therefore the first episode of a brand new theme. Now, last month's theme was all about Silver Samurai. We went through and explored from his debut all the way through his death and a lot of different stories in between. And today we are going to start a new theme that is in the same vein, only this time instead of looking back at the villain Silver Samurai, we are moving on to one of my other favorite Wolverine villains, Lady Deathstrike. So for the first episode of Lady Deathstrike Month, we are going to cover a three-part storyline that serves as her first appearance. Although it's not the first appearance of Lady Deathstrike proper, this is actually the first appearance of Yuriko Oyama, the woman who goes on to assume the mantle of Lady Deathstrike and become one of Wolverine's most deadly foes. But much like the Silver Samurai and much like Sabretooth, the two villains uh, with whom we have devoted an entire month to in the past, this character also debuted in a non-Wolverine, non-X-Men book. Now, she wasn't created by Chris Claremont, uh, but she was created in the early 1980s in the pages of Daredevil. That's right. Just like last month's villain, Silver Samurai, this villain first debuted in the pages of Daredevil. This storyline covers Daredevil Volume 1, issues 197 through 199. They were dated August through November of 1983. Now, the credits for these issues, uh, the first issue kind of varies, and then the second two are uh, the same. But we have, for issue 197, we have Denny O'Neill on script, with an assist from Klaus Jansen. We have newcomer William Johnson on pencils. We have inks from Mike Mignola. We have colors from Christy Scheel. And we have letters from Joe Rosen. And one other thing about this issue is we actually do have Larry Hama on the art for pages two through six. Now, I don't know if that was just pencils. I don't know if that was pencils and inks, but he is credited as art for pages two through six of this particular issue. Now, after that, the creative team solidifies for the next two issues where we have Denny O'Neill on writing. We have William Johnson on pencils. We have Danny Bulanati on inks. We have Joe Rosen on letters. And then 198 has Glennis Ween on colors and 199 has Bob Sharon for colors. So relatively, uh, you know, coherent, creative team, and they tell a, a, a pretty decent story here. Now, I love Denny O'Neill on Batman. I enjoy his Green Arrow. And for the most part, I enjoyed his stint on Daredevil as well. And this particular story was a lot of fun, although these three issues mostly are just set up. They're just kind of bridging the gap between the end of the Frank Miller era and the first major storyline of the Denny O'Neill era, which of course coincides with issue 200 of the series. 
So some brief background of what was going on in Daredevil comics at the time. And of course, if you've ever seen the Daredevil Netflix series or... I shudder to say the Ben Affleck live action movie, uh, then the storyline should feel a little familiar. This is coming, you know, right after, like I said, the Frank Miller era, the first part, at least when it came to an end, you know, he, he did the, the big storyline that revealed Electra, and then it had Bullseye coming in and spoiler alert, killing Electra, which led to a big showdown between old Hornhead and Bullseye himself. Now, during that battle, Daredevil beats Bullseye by dropping him from like an extremely high distance and it shatters the spine of Bullseye. It leaves him paralyzed, unable to move. I, I bring this up because, you know, we saw an adaptation of, of these few events in the live action Ben Affleck movie. And of course, over three seasons of the Netflix Daredevil, which can now be seen on Disney Plus. We had this story told as well, like I said, over those three seasons, not necessarily exactly in the correct comic book order, but it was done in a way that that made it seem familiar and still managed to tell the important parts of these stories, even if they were kind of spread out over three seasons and it didn't play out exactly as it did in the comics. At the end of the Daredevil season three, so again, spoiler alert for those of you who, who didn't watch it on Netflix and are possibly making their way through it for the first time now that it is on Disney Plus, but at the end of season three, we had a reference to Lord Darkwind and to Adamantium because of how it ended with Bullseye. Bullseye, the same kind of deal, had the shattered spine and needed surgery to repair his injuries. So I was super curious to see where they were going to go with the Netflix series because it almost seemed like they were referencing things that Marvel and Netflix didn't necessarily have the live action rights to talk about. It almost seemed like the whole adamantium thing, uh, this idea of Lord Darkwind and, and other characters that came about with this story would fall under the, the Fox uh, umbrella. But again, I'm not entirely sure, and we never found out because shortly after Daredevil Season 3 premiered and aired and fans loved, Netflix announced that they were canceling all of their Defenders series with one exception because it was pretty much all the way done with production and that was the the final season of Jessica Jones and so after that season aired Netflix didn't uh, do anything more with the characters they let their license expire and that is why Disney was able to then take these shows back from Netflix and and throw them over onto Disney Plus so yeah we never really got to see what they were going to do next and of course all of these things now all fall under the uh, Disney banner yet again with Disney buying Fox. Now they own the X-Men and they, they have the rights to daredevil back and all of that stuff. So, I mean, at this point they can continue it if they want, or they can go in a completely different direction, but they do all, uh, they do own all of these things once more. So it's a mystery that, uh, you know, we're never going to get an answer for with what direction were they going to take bullseye in, in, in you know, in a possible daredevil season four. But, of course, none of that really has to do with anything that we're about to talk about here 
today. So one thing about this story that I noticed when I read it, it, it's not on Marvel Unlimited. I don't know if it's been collected in any kind of a trade paperback. Perhaps, you know, Marvel sometimes does like the Visionary series where they'll collect uh, important storylines or two that are written by a very well-known writer. And so perhaps there was like a Daredevil Visionaries for Denny O'Neill and the story was collected in there. But if you can get your hands on it, I highly recommend that you read this story. It is pretty good. Uh, it's, you know, a fun Daredevil story. It's a fun introduction to Yuriko Oyama because she's very different in these three issues than we will, than she is when we will see her again and for the rest of the time that she appears in comic books. It's a very different origin than I would have expected knowing who Lady Deathstrike is in the comics. Now, the first issue of this three-part series is... Uh, pretty exposition heavy. There's a lot of setting up that is done with the second issue actually being like a very quick issue to get through. Um, and then the third issue is, this is the same thing, but you'll notice when we get to the the rundown, the breakdown of that issue, that issue 199, there's a lot of jumping around. And uh, I'm just going to say ahead of time, depending on how I feel when I get to that issue, I might just lump some of those scenes together because like I said, it's it's a 23 issue or 23 page story, really not 22 pages, really. And it seems that every other page is a new scene. So like page one is one scene, then page two, you change and you're checking in with the different characters. And it seems to do that for the entire issue until you get to like the last four pages and you have, you know, one continuous scene. It just, it was jarring when I was going through and taking my notes. Cause it was like, all right, I'm taking notes about Matt Murdoch. Now I'm taking notes about a different character. Now I'm back to Matt. Now I'm over here. And it just seems that had he kind of lumped these, these pages together, he could have just told a more coherent third act to this storyline, but yeah, whatever, you know, it is what it is. And it's still a really good story. So without further ado, I think we can jump in. So we are here, Daredevil number 197, and it begins with Matt Murdock having like a nightmare about his battle with Bullseye and being roused from his sleep in his office, like in the dead of night by Foggy Nelson, who's like, hey, Matt, you know, what are you still doing here? It's so late. And we can see that Matt has been working on his last will and testament. Uh, so I don't know if perhaps, you know, the mortality issue with with Electra recently uh, kind of made Matt realize that, yeah, he's not immortal either and that he'll die eventually, just like everyone else. Uh, but he's working on it anyway. Foggy leaves. Matt goes to leave as well because he realizes it's a very late hour. Uh, he does mention to Foggy, though, like, oh, by the way, I'm taking vacation to Japan. I'm going to be in Japan for the next like 10 days. So. You know, if you don't see me around the office, uh, that's why. So he leaves after Foggy leaves and he's making his way down the street. And there happened to be like a goon who's been stationed outside the law offices of Nelson and Murdoch. I believe it was due to some like criminal case that they were working on in the pages of their books. And it was a means to kind of get the lawyers out of the way. So this goon sees Foggy leave the building, hop into a, a cab or a, or a limo or whatever and head out. And he sticks around and he waits for Matt Murdock to leave. And when he sees Matt Murdock leaving, he like whips out some dynamite from his pocket and just like lights it and runs away. Well, he 
like lights it and chucks it and runs away. And Daredevil is able to sense that it's flying his way. And he kind of turns around and like karate chops this dynamite and sends it flying far enough away that when it detonates, it only kind of knocks him down. And he, you know, spends like overnight in the hospital. He seems to have like a little head injury, like a, a concussion of sorts, but nothing major. And he leaves the hospital after just one night, hops on his plane and heads to Japan. So a lot of stuff going on really quickly. This was like seven pages into the story and there's all of these things happening already. Uh, But yeah, so we know that uh, Matt is heading to Japan and on the plane, we find out why. You see, with Matt's head injury, it makes him kind of sleepy, and he falls asleep again on the plane from New York to Japan. I imagine that's a really long flight anyway, so even if he didn't have a head injury, he would probably have slept at some point on that flight from New York to Japan, you know, all the way across the continental United States, and then from the West Coast all the way across the Pacific Ocean into Japan. I I didn't look it up. I imagine it's it's several hours on a plane, connecting flights and stuff probably as well. Who knows? But he falls asleep on the plane. He has like another nightmare about Bullseye, but he's wakened by the flight attendant, you know, offering him a beverage or a snack or anything like that, offering for him to watch, you know, the cinema of Japan, which, you know, he's blind, so it's not really his thing. Anyway, while he's thinking, he kind of mentions like, well, you know, I decided to come to Japan because I've been following Bullseye. And last I heard, Bullseye was like loaded up on a ship and that ship was sent over to Japan or it's on its way to Japan. I think the flight worked out that he arrived in Japan before this alleged boat arrives that's carrying Bullseye from the U.S. into Japan. So we find out it's not just a vacation. You know, he actually has things that he's doing. Daredevil has come to Japan in order to stop Bullseye from from doing whatever it is that he has planned. Anyway, the plane lands. He goes to his hotel. He has a bath. This is all skipped over, and we get this in, like, just an exposition dump in a random page where Matt's walking down the street in Tokyo, and he's thinking all these things to him. Anyway, as he's walking through the streets of Tokyo, he ends up at the docks. So I don't think that's how it works in Tokyo, but I've never been there and I could be wrong. But I don't think that you can just like walk up to a random dock where like just a a cargo ship is going to make birth. Like whatever, it's comics, right? So he's walking up to where the docks are going to be, and he is accosted by a couple of youth gang members, uh, possibly Yakuza, but I think he just kind of writes it off as just like a youth gang that just like picks on tourists and stuff just to get, you know, a little extra cash here and there. Uh, But, you know, it's Matt Murdock, so he fights off these these three guys, and uh, after he fights them off, the ship that he's waiting for just happens to arrive. It's a ship called the Osama Maru. And of course, this is literally the ship that Matt Murdock went to Japan in order to uh, 
follow, you know, to, he, he followed this ship specifically to Japan. So a lot of, you know, convenient happenstance as far as the timing of everything. And you're going to find out as we go through these three issues that whenever Denny O'Neill had like two pages that he had to kill because he didn't have enough story, he just has someone fight Matt. Uh, and this is the first instance where he's like, all right, we have like three we have like three pages in between this scene and that scene. So like I could have Matt call foggy on the phone or just explore Tokyo a little bit and just like kind of gush about the culture, maybe make some references to the hand or something, you know, but nah, like eh, we'll just have a couple of like street guys just like beat up Matt for three pages, but really Matt will win. Cause you know, he's daredevil anyway. The ship arrives at dock. Matt Murdock strips down to his old hornhead costume and sneaks aboard the ship. And as he's walking around the ship, he realizes, you know, huh, like there's not very many people on the boat. Weird. But he makes his way to, uh, you know, what his radar senses are telling him is the, I don't know, the, the brig. I mean, it's not like Bullseye was a prisoner, but he makes his way to an area that seems to be a prison and he finds there a young woman who is chained to a bed and is being attended to by guards. The guards are nowhere to be found, but there's signs that there were guards watching over this woman. So she doesn't say who she is or anything, but she does tell Matt she needs some help. So he, you know, rips the chain out of the wall. He unchains her from the bed and he's immediately attacked by the guard. Who's finally come back from wherever. You know, apparently the sound from the chain was too much that Matt didn't sense the guard coming up, but he makes quick work of him. He kicks him, you know, one time. He's one kick man, knocks the guy down, and he and the woman run up to the next flight or the next deck, whatever. Um, I'm not a sailor, so I don't know all the terms of all the different parts of a ship. I know that the thing that you stand on, you know, at the top is called the deck. So that's kind of what I'm going with. They're making the way up to the deck. They get up there and a spotlight shines on him that Matt can sense the heat of the light. And he's like, oh, great. Well, you know, this, this sucks. Like I just, I just one kicked this other dude and like, I wasn't sensing all these people on the ship, but apparently they're here and now they've, they've got a spotlight. So we got a few more pages, like four or five more pages of Matt fighting. Uh, but you know, luckily it's not just one kick and the dudes out. There's like four or five dudes. Eventually they kind of outnumber Matt, overpower him a little bit. And this woman sees like, man, eh, well, it looks like the, this battles, he's probably going to lose. So she just dives off the deck into the, into the water and Matt sees it. And he's like, Oh, that's a good idea. So he knocks the guys out really quick, a couple of kicks and stuff and, and joins her in the drink. They're able to swim over to the side of the dock and climb their way out. They get up to the top where like the street level is. She's like, oh, hey, my name's Yuriko. And he's like, oh, cool. Nice to meet you. Do you want to get some rice? Because at the corner of the street that they're standing at, there's like a nice little rice shop. So she's like, cool, let's get some rice. So they duck in, they're sitting down, they're having a nice meal you know, not more than 10 feet away from where this boat is docked. Like they didn't jump off the boat and then swim like 12 miles up the coast. They just jumped off the boat, swam over to the dock itself, climbed up and then went into the first shop that they found on the street. So their escaping skills aren't very good, but you know, whatever comics. So they go into the rice shop and they have a conversation about 
why Matt was on the boat and why this lady Yuriko is on the boat. So she tells him her piece, you know, she's coming to Japan because there's a guy here named Lord Darkwind and she wants to stop this guy. You know, he's a bad guy and she she has to stop him. I believe that she kind of tells his his little backstory real quick, which is that Lord Darkwind was a former kamikaze pilot during World War II. And when he went to complete his mission, he actually survived, which apparently is like this big shameful thing. And so when he got back into Japan and, and it begun to, to rebuild itself and all that, he kind of lost his place because of the shame of surviving his mission. And so he had to resort to like a life of crime and he became this, this huge criminal in the Japanese underworld. He took the name Lord Darkwind and apparently he's not a good guy. And this woman, Yuriko badly wants to stop him. Also, we have Matt kind of telling her uh, his his piece, which is, while well, I was on the boat trying to find this American guy named Bullseye, uh, you know, because he's a bad dude. And so that's that. While they're in the rice shop, they are attacked by people from the boat. Uh, they're almost like ambushed by these people. Like they're surprised that the people from the boat right across the street found them in this rice shop. But you know, the lady who ran the rice shop actually comes to their aid and like knocks out all these bad guys. And, and Daredevil's like, what's going on? And Yuriko's like, oh yeah, she says that she doesn't like sailors. And so when they came in to fight us, she was happy to knock them out. So that's, pretty much it. Like the two of them go to leave the rice shop and, and daredevil stops Yuriko. And he's like, Hey, um, I've noticed that your face is covered and like, you've kept your face covered this whole time. What's the deal. And so she pulls her hood down and she has like this scarification on her face. It looks like just like Japanese writing on her face. I don't know what it says. There's no translation or anything, but she's like, I hide my face because I'm horribly disfigured. Don't you think I'm ugly? And he's like, nah, these eyes don't think you're ugly. Uh, and that's like the end of the issue. There was one other important scene during the battle on the deck where Daredevil's fighting all these dudes. Like, I, I think it was right before Yuriko jumps off the deck into the water where we get like a brief scene where Matt gets this like weird headache for a split second. And when he gets that, the scene changes and we actually check in with Bullseye himself. And he is in a bed and he's being talked to by this dude who's very Cobra commander looking like if Cobra commander were a samurai, like picture a dude wearing like samurai garb, not armor, but like a samurai. I, the word, I don't think the word is kimono, but like the samurai robes and he's wearing it, uh, but he's got his face covered with like the little bag thing that C Cobra commander wears, you know, he's got one of those. And Bullseye is like, hey, what am I doing here? Like, is this, why did you bring me here from the U.S.? And the dude's like, oh, well, you know, you know how your spine's all messed up and broken and your bones don't work? We're going to take all of them out and replace them with metal bones and you'll be back to your old self in no time. So 
I guess that's why Lord Darkwind brought Bullseye to Japan. It was to replace his bones. And so that was the one other scene I wanted to talk about in this first issue. From there, we actually go into our second issue in the story, which I said is a lot more quicker paced. Like I had to take like two and a half pages of notes for the first issue. And I took maybe a page for the second one. It's, it's pretty quick. So this issue begins. Matt and Yuriko have been spending some time together, kind of lying low at Matt's hotel room in Tokyo. Luckily, no one knows that Daredevil and Matt Murdock are the same. So none of these, uh, guys that work for Darkwind are going to know to look for the name Matt Murdock. They're, they're not going to know where to look or, or who to look for. So they're just kind of hanging out in, in Tokyo. She has told Matt a little bit more about Lord Darkwind. And of course, Matt being the, uh, the lawyer that he is and, and having the instincts that he does, he can kind of seem that, you know, what she's told him has been, truthful and accurate, but maybe not necessarily the whole piece. And so he leaves the hotel room for a little while and he goes out to like the, just the corner of the street where there's a payphone, and he makes a call to Ben Urich of the daily bugle who in the daredevil comics is like a really good staunch ally of daredevil. He helps him get information that he needs that Matt wouldn't otherwise be able to get. I believe he also knows his identity as Daredevil. So he he knows that he's not just giving out information to like a lawyer. Like he knows that he's giving information out to a superhero. And so if this guy's asking for information, it's a really good idea to get it to him as quickly as possible. So he's on hand to take this phone call. And he confirms pretty much everything that Yuriko has told Matt Murdock, but weirdly enough, while Matt is on the phone, it turns out that Lord Darkwind, because he didn't know who he was looking for, he just had random goons kind of stationed at various corners throughout the city, which is a massive city, by the way. So like Lord Darkwind must have a lot of goons. Anyway, one of the goons spots Matt at the payphone and is like, hey, that's the dude that I'm supposed to like beat up. So that's what he tries to do. He, he runs over to Matt and tries to beat him up while Matt's on the phone, causing Matt to drop the phone and missing an important piece of information that Ben Urich is providing him, which is that Lord Darkwind had three children, two sons, one daughter, and after his shame, he scarred the faces of all three of his children with some weird Japanese writing that no one knows about. Unfortunately, Matt misses all of that. He's about to pick the phone back up, or actually, I know he does pick the phone back up and he's like saying thanks to Ben for all the information when he hears the cocking of a gun from a little further away and is like, all right, well, we should probably head out. So he he jumps away, he dodges the bullet and and then the scene ends like we don't get. We actually don't get anything else like Matt jumps out of the way of this bullet that the guy that someone shoots while he's on the payphone and then we check in with matt and yuriko on a shinkansen as they're making their way out of the city heading i think at this point they know where they're heading which is north to hokkaido at the same time there's like another scene where uh, matt has a headache 
I think it's like as soon as we're on the Shinkansen, we see that Matt has a, another headache. And of course, at that point, we we check in with Bullseye again. We see that Bullseye is actually having like the same headache. And it's weird because they don't really explain why these guys are having like simultaneous headaches. But it's enough that Bullseye is like, oh, man, I don't know why, but I had this like split second headache. And now I know that like Daredevil's in Japan and he's on his way here. Uh, and so Lord Darkwin's like, oh, yeah, probably you're, you're probably right. Anyway. Uh, and so we go back to uh, the train. So we get a little bit more information this time. Uh, last time, Matt had told Yuriko that he was tracking down Bullseye. But this time he tells Yuriko why he's tracking down Bullseye. And he tells her, like, you know, I had this girlfriend who who I loved really, you know, very much. And, uh, you know, Bullseye killed her brutally. And, and Yuriko's like, oh, man, that's terrible. Well, I have a story that's similar. See this Lord Darkwind guy. There's a samurai in his service named Kira. And I love Kira, but I can't be with Kira because he works for this Darkwind guy. Also, Darkwind killed my brothers who also had face scars like me. Uh, so for our astute readers, you'll you'll go, oh, OK. So uh, Ben Urich told Daredevil that Lord Darkwind had three kids, two sons and a daughter. He scarred all their faces and he killed his sons. So now we're like, oh, OK, so so Yuriko is the daughter of Lord Darkwind and she wants revenge on her father for what he did to her brothers and, of course, for for keeping her beloved in his service. And so here we get like this weird scene. I think it was just a way to eat up like four pages. But after they're telling each other these things, their train makes a stop at, you know, a random station along the way. And so Yuriko's like, hey, you want to like, you know, we've we have kind of a long wait this time. You know, usually the Shinkansen, it's like doors open. You got 30 seconds to get off and get on. But, you know, this is kind of a longer wait. So like, let's let's go stretch our legs. You know, we've been sitting down for for an awful long time. And so Matt's like, that sounds nice. And and this part is it's it, it, I don't get it like this whole these like four pages or whatever. That's very weird. It doesn't really make any sense. It doesn't hold up logically. But like the second that they step off the train, someone starts shooting at them. So they jump out of the way. Matt zeroes in with his senses on who it was that fired at them and like chases the guy into this little village, this little town. And for like two pages, he's chasing him and then he catches him and then they they beat him up and then they get back on the train and the train leaves. It doesn't really forward the plot like they don't learn a piece of information from this guy, I think. Like there's nothing in my notes about this scene and I'm kind of just going by memory, but it was like four pages long and it just was very strange. And also Japan is like a relatively peaceful country for like an industrialized nation of its size. This sort of thing, like someone randomly shooting at people at like as they're getting off of a train, that's not just like your run of a mill daily thing where they'd be like, eh, well, got to keep the train running. Like, I'm pretty sure that would be like a major thing and there would be police all over the place because this sort of thing doesn't happen. Like, it's not a mundane occurrence, but 
and they just get back on the train. Now, maybe I'm misremembering a little bit. Like maybe they get off the train and they walk in and it's like as they're walking into town. But either way, like gunshots ringing out right next to a train station. I just feel like it wouldn't have been as easy as just like getting back on the train and the train heading out. Maybe I'm wrong, but it just it was like just such a very strange scene. Anyway, the train keeps going and they arrive where they need to be after the, which we don't even see them disembark. Like we just see that they get back on the train. And then like the very next scene, they're on a boat or they're getting onto a boat that they've hired to take them to this island off the coast of the island of Hokkaido where Lord Darkwind has like his castle or his ancestral grounds or, or whatever it is, the headquarters of his criminal enterprise. So they're getting this boat and the guy's like, I, you can rent the boat, but I'm not going to take you to this island myself. Like, I'm not going to run afoul of, of Lord Darkwind. And they're like, that's fine. Like, I'm blind. I can pilot a boat through a, like a rain. I should point out that it's like snowing really hard as well. And like, it's really windy and there's like the really tall waves and, and whatnot. But either way, you know, Yuriko and Matt are able to uh, hop in this boat and sail it up the way to the island where they arrive, like without further uh, incident. Now, while they're on the boat, we check back in with Bullseye, who has like another, pseudo premonition that daredevil is even closer now like he, he his arrival on the island is imminent so he warns lord darkwind again and lord darkwind's like yeah well you know you're i'm sure you're right this guy's coming but it's it's neither here nor there it's not a big deal i'll dispatch like my seven best swordsmen to the island to patrol you know and if they find something they'll let us know otherwise they'll just check back in with us tomorrow i guess three days whatever no specified amount of time they'll just if they see anything then they'll come say something so on the island matt and yuriko like almost immediately encounter these seven samurai guys matt beats them down over the course of a few pages but i think at one point yuriko's like kill them or else they'll, you know, keep coming after us and whatnot. And, and Daredevil's like, dude, it's like the middle of the night. It's snowing. They're unconscious. Like, I'm pretty sure that they're just going to freeze. So, no, like, I'm an honorable dude. I'm not going to end their, I'm, I'm not going to take their lives. Like, I've beaten them. Let's just continue on. Uh, so they keep walking on this island. But, you know, it's like I said, it's like the middle of the night. It's a big snowstorm. It's cold. There's not a hotel they can check into, but they do run across like this random building. And so they head into this building for the night and they like sleep in this building overnight and the issue ends. <laughs> so like pretty quick issue, uh, a couple of random encounters and some fights and stuff that really are like just completely unnecessary <laughs> like just contrived conflict for the sake of filling up some pages but hey you know it's daredevil beating up samurai i'm not going to complain too much because you know I, I i like that sort of thing i like daredevil fighting samurai i like daredevil fighting ninjas like it's one of the reasons why i like daredevil so much and if the x-men didn't exist i might just be 
a daredevil super fan. Like, I wonder if the X-Men didn't exist. I like who would be my, my favorite superhero. Cause I wasn't really a big DC kid growing up. So like if there were no X-Men, it would probably have been Spider-Man in the nineties. Maybe something would have bridged that gap. Like maybe I would have watched the Batman cartoon because I liked Batman returns in 92. And so I would have become a DC fan much earlier. I don't know, maybe, but I like Daredevil. I've always liked Daredevil. And every time I've read a Daredevil comic, I've always enjoyed it. So I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe if the X-Men didn't exist, Daredevil would have been my guy. Who knows? But yeah, I, I love seeing him beat up Samurai. So I'm not going to complain too much, even though you know some of these fights were uh, pretty superfluous. But you know that does take us into our final issue of this little three-issue arc. And yeah, like I said at the top, I think I'm just going to kind of walk through the two timelines one at a time until they like run their course at the end. So the, the third issue starts with Matt and Yuriko being like shaken awake in this little hut thing where they spent the night because of an earthquake. So they run outside and that's it, you know, but we get like two pages of it and there's a lot of dialogue mixed in there of of Yuriko, like go under a table or stand in a doorway or go outside. Uh, because you know, there's earthquakes in Japan. They're very common there. So she knows the rules, you know, Matt being a city boy from, from New York city probably hasn't dealt with earthquakes very much. So he was like very thrown off and, and, and found it to be very disconcerting because his senses really couldn't make heads or tails of what was happening. And, it's important because it's going to come into play again later. Although it was just a very weird way to start the issue with like three pages worth of, Oh no, there's an earthquake quick, go out the door. Now I grew up in California. We had our fair share of earthquakes. Like I remember the Loma Prieta earthquake of 89, you know, the big one that uh, you probably are all pretty familiar with because it destroyed parts of the Bay Bridge. It canceled, not canceled, but it delayed the World Series. There were casualties. There was lots of business damage. And and yeah, like we felt that earthquake all the way down in San Jose. And I remember going outside and standing in the front yard as well. Like even, I was four years old at the time. I remember going out and doing that. So yeah, I mean, it, it, if you're a guy like Daredevil who who senses where things are because of sound and, and vibration and stuff. And then everything is moving all at once. I can see why that would be such a jarring experience. Although again, like it seems like something that could have been established really at any time they've been in Japan for three whole issues now. So it was just weird to start it. Cause they're like, Hey, this is going to be really important in like 14 pages. So we better have a, like a second one either way that's how the issue starts. And then like Yuriko takes Matt to Lord Darkwind's castle. And she's like, there it is. And he's like, cool, let's go stop him. But then they don't like, I'd mentioned that the scene kind of changes between like page by page, you know, this page is this scene. And then this page, it's a different character. And then we check back. So we actually have like four or five different pages worth of story where daredevil and Yuriko are just like, I don't know what they're doing. They're just like walking in circles around the castle, I guess, because immediately after the earthquake, she takes him to the gate that leads into the castle. 
But then for the next three or four times we check in with, with Matt and Yuriko, they're just walking around somewhere else. They, first of all, they, uh, they run into the samurai from the previous night, the ones that didn't freeze to death. Apparently there were three left. So Matt has to fight them again. Then he has to fight off, um, some archers who like randomly come across Matt and Yuriko and shoot arrows at them, which Matt just like snatches out of midair and throws them down, which is a pretty cool scene. So I'm fine with it, but it just seems weird. And then like, again, they have to fight like another swordsman or two before they finally get inside. And while all of these scenes are happening, there's all these other storylines with Bullseye and Lord Darkwind. Well, not it's just one storyline with Bullseye and, and Lord Darkwind. That's like, that breaks up these three events. So in between Matt and, and Yuriko fighting the samurai and then fighting the archer guys and then fighting like another swordsman in between all this, Lord Darkwind has, has, uh, he's talking to bullseye. We see that bullseye has undergone the procedure. So his bones have been replaced with, you know, metal bones. Now he's fully recovered, miraculous recovery, like literally overnight. And he's back to his old self. He's like in this dojo, he's hopping around, he's throwing size and shuriken and what, you know, whatever he's shooting bow and arrows and stuff. He's hitting his mark every single time. Like bullseye is back better than ever. And he's asking Lord Darkwin, like, all right, man, well, thanks. What do I owe you? And Lord Darkwin's like, no, 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 it's fine. Like, don't pay me. I just, I have a job for you to do. And so bullseye's like, oh, you need me to do a job for you? How much are you going to pay me to do this job? Lord Darkwin's like, I just paid you by replacing all of your bones that were broken beyond repair with these metal bones. So like, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that I've paid you. And so now you owe me in return. And Bullseye's like, oh yeah, well, yeah that makes sense. Sure. Um, he's like, by the way, Daredevil's like right outside. So he's going to be all up in your grill real soon. And Lord Darkwin's like, ah, eh, don't worry about it. I've got samurai. I've got archers. I've got this Kira dude who, you know, he's going to take you in a boat so that you can go back to America because the job I have for you is I need you to assassinate the Japanese foreign trade minister at the UN building in like four days. And Bullseye's like, you got it, bub. Like toss me in that boat and send me along. So like, <laughs> It seems like it should just be two scenes, but they break it up and they do it like every other page. And it was just really jarring taking the notes and, and going back through Like the first time I read through the story, I didn't even realize that it had jumped, that it was jumping back and forth all of these times, but going back through and like reading it again, critically and taking the notes, I was like, Oh man, like every other page. And so we're, it's, it's them, it's daredevil, it's bullseye, it's daredevil, it's bullseye, whatever. Anyway, so that's pretty much it. So now Daredevil and, and Yuriko have arrived at Lord Darkwind's castle. Finally, they've fought in their way through all the all the mini bosses, all the sub bosses. They've done their quest. They're in the final castle and Daredevil's fighting all these samurai guys. Yuriko kind of disappears. An earthquake hits and it like knocks some some beams fall down on Daredevil. And everything like luckily it's after he's defeated all these samurai dudes and, and assassins and whatnot, but it still knocks him down and it throws him for a loop. His senses are all out of whack. He doesn't know what's going on real quick. Then we check in with bullseye again 
And we find this Kira guy, you know, the one that Yuriko was talking about being in love with and stuff. He's the one who's like rowing Bullseye back to like the main island of, of uh, or the, the, the major island of Hokkaido that they're in and around and stuff, you know, so that he can get on his plane and head back to, to America and stuff. And, and Kira's talking about like, how are you going to complete the job, man? Like, what's your plan? And Bullseye says, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to complete this assassination if I'm not getting paid. Like it's ridiculous. And the guy's like, we, you were paid with, by your, your recovery. Like that was the payment. And, and Bullseye's like, meh. And he just kind of like breaks a bottle over the dude's head and just throws him overboard and stuff. And you know, that's that. So then we check back in with, with Daredevil. And as he's disoriented, thanks to this second earthquake and everything, Lord Darkwind appears and he's got this big giant sword, not big giants. It's not like buster sword or anything. It's just like a large, a long sword. And he's coming in and he's like, ah, yes, Daredevil, I was, you know, told you would be here and now I can defeat you. Ha ha. So he's about to administer the final blow on Daredevil when Yuriko finally shows up and stops him. And I'm pretty sure that she stops him by killing him, but it's not shown. Um, It's just implied later on. But this is pretty, like, this is, like, the end of the story. Like, she kills Lord Darkwind. And so her and Matt are outside on the beach where their boat was. Because Matt's like, all right, well, Bullseye's gone. Apparently going back to America. So I guess that's what I'm going to do. You know, thanks a lot. By the way, you know, we we got really close to one another over the course of our adventure. And should we, like, further explore that? Or... And Yuriko's like, man, it was, you know, we were both lonely at the time and we needed companionship. So that's that. And like, as they're saying their goodbyes, Kira washes up on shore, still alive. And Yuriko, you know, runs over to him and he tells her like, ah, crud, like I failed Lord Darkwind, you know, fooey. And she's like, ah, you know, we don't really have to worry about Lord Darkwind anymore because we don't. Uh, and so she like throws a blanket around him and puts her arm around him and calls him her beloved and, and all that. And the issue just kind of ends with, with daredevil just like standing awkwardly on the beach next to a boat. Like, mm, is like, is someone going to row me back to shore? Am I going to have to do that myself? I don't really. So there you go. That is the first appearance of lady Deathstrike, And, she has like a somewhat happy ending, you know, like, yes, it was a story of patricide fueled by vengeance and uh, love, but a very different portrayal of Yuriko Oyama than we get pretty much every time we see her from here on out. On the next episode of Talkin' Snicked, we are going to cover her first appearance as Lady Deathstrike proper, you know, where she actually takes the name Lady Deathstrike and becomes the Wolverine hating, you know, assassin person that we see from here on out. It's just very strange that this happens to be the first appearance of Yuriko Oyama. And and I don't think that it's like a well-known story. Like, I don't feel like a lot of people who, who are Wolverine fans even kind of know that before we had Lady Deathstrike, we had this story of, of Yuriko. And we had these 
crossing paths. Now, they don't ever actually say adamantium in the comic, at least not that I remember, and I didn't make note that they did, so I'm just going to trust myself and say they just called it metal. Like They're just like, hey, we're going to put some metal on your bones or in your bones or replace your bones with metal, what have you. That's what we're going to do. They don't like flat out say adamantium or anything like that, but of course, in the mind of the John Burns and the Chris Claremonts out there who then take this character and mold her into something very different, uh, they are able to tie it up in, in an interesting way. And so we will explore that aspect of her origin in the next episode where we cover her first appearance as Lady Deathstrike proper. Off the top of my head, I want to say that's Alpha Flight Volume 1 Issues 33 and 34, but I might have those issue numbers wrong. So don't quote me. We'll find out next week when I drop the episode. Uh, but yeah, off the top of my head, it was like, yeah, Alpha Flight Volume 1 Issues 33 and 34, which which are the the first appearance of, of Lady Deathstrike. Like this is really the first appearance of, of Yuriko. Um, and, and, and that's pretty much it. Uh, one thing I like about this particular story is the artwork, you know, in issue 197, it, it points out the fact that it says introducing, you know, this artist on art. And I don't know if that is because this is the first time he's ever drawn a comic book or if it was just introducing him to the title. But like, I, I was very pleased with the artwork in all three of these issues, especially with like all these little short accent action sequences, just kind of peppered into the story as it was unfolding. You know, we have like this very dramatic, lots of talking head kind of things, but in between all of these scenes, it's like, we just have these short action scenes where we have to see daredevil, like just kicking butt and William Johnson did a fantastic job. So if this was his first comic book work ever, then like good on him. And if it was his first work just on Daredevil, like I hope that he stayed for a long time. I don't remember like when it is that Frank Miller comes back and it might not even be to like Daredevil ongoing proper. Like I remember that he comes back for uh, the man without fear and a couple other stories, but I, I, like, I feel like those were minis that he did uh, and it didn't like it didn't take place in in the Daredevil ongoing. Like those were those were miniseries that he had told. And so they, they took place at a certain time, but it wasn't being like they weren't being printed in the ongoing. It wasn't like Daredevil 296 or something. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I think that's what it was. So I don't quite remember like when the creative team changed again on this on this book. So, Bubs, if you like the show and want to keep the conversation going, you can find me on Instagram at TalkinSnicked or reach out to me via email, TalkSnicked at gmail.com. And one more place, I am working on building a Discord server. In fact, it's already set up. You can find, like, so far, it's just me and a handful of my special guests from my Snicktoons portion of the podcast. Uh, but we're on there, and uh, we're, we're posting pictures of stuff, or we're getting conversations going about 
Wolverine. So that's another thing. Like if you are a fan of this podcast and you have discord for whatever else, like I will work on posting the discord, you know, the server invite in the show notes. So hopefully you can, you know, copy and paste that and get into the uh, talk and snick discord it'd just be a fun place to get together and talk wolverine talk x-men share pictures of your collections whether you collect comics or or action figures funko pops mini mates lego uh maybe you collect original art stuff like that you collect prints whatever whatever it is you know you can go in there and talk about it i've got channels set up where you can talk about the talking snicked episodes you can talk about the snick tunes episode you can find the links for the episodes if for whatever reason you've lost them um, i want to get like a, maybe like a topic request channel going where if there's a certain issue you want me to cover or or whatever you can throw those out there and, and i can pick and choose uh if you want to be a guest host on snick tunes i want to get something like that some sort of a sign up where you can you know, let me know your email address or whatever it is, and, and we can reach out and get something scheduled and get you on the show, that sort of thing. I just want it to be a fun place to talk Wolverine and the X-Men outside of social media where you have to deal with all this other stuff. So anyway, check it out. Uh, like I said, I'm put a link for it in the show notes and all that so you can find the Discord server. Like I said, tune in next week as we cover Alpha Flight Volume 1 issues, I think, 33 and 34. It's whatever the two issues were that Lady Deathstrike appeared in. You could probably do a quick Google search and, and confirm which issues if you're reading along at home. Uh, but yeah, so that's what we're going to cover next week. We are going to just keep continuing on with Lady Deathstrike. Bubs. Make sure that you stay tuned to the end of the episode. Check out the track Back from the Dead by the very talented musician Retcon X. He is an original artist who created a bunch of original music inspired by the X-Men, and you can find him on YouTube and Spotify. Until next time, bub.